Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I am one of the preachers here at GFC. Um, over the past several months, I have been praying a lot about what it means to be a witness. Uh, this theme has come up repeatedly for me as I was preparing to go on the Japan Perspectives team that, or Japan Perspectives trip that Bill referenced. Um, and countless times throughout the trip, this idea of witness came up, especially since I couldn't speak Japanese. Uh, and, and how was I ever going to be a witness to Christ in that situation? Um, one of the prayers that the Adairs, who are our missionaries there, pray regularly is this. God, may we image you well in this situation. And as I've been studying the book of Luke in preparation for our upcoming sermon series, I've been struck again and again and again what important, how important the theme of witness really is in that book as well. And so as I've been thinking and praying on what it means to be a witness in both my words and my actions, uh, I've been excited to, to share that with you this morning. And unfortunately, the word witness is one of those words that can be used so frequently among Christian circles uh, that it really can lose a lot of its meaning. So today we're going to look at a case study in scripture about when the apostles were living out their witness of this calling to, they're living out this calling to witness in Acts 5, 27 through 42, which is on page 859 if you have one of the church Bibles. And this morning we're going to look at three elements of being a witness. These are on your outline. We're going to look at what God is calling his church to be a witness of. We're going to see who we must be witnesses to. And we're going to see through what power we can witness. So first, let's start with just a little bit of a background. Uh, the story that we're going to read this morning takes place in Jerusalem after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The apostles, who were Jesus' closest followers, had received the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they had begun their ministry of healing the sick and casting out demons. Their notoriety was growing. And earlier in this chapter of Acts 5, we hear that more than ever, new believers were being added to the Lord. And so, as a response, the high priests and the Sadducees, who were the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders, responded by arresting the apostles to stop their growing notoriety. That didn't work. <laughs> uh, God demonstrated his power even further by miraculously releasing those apostles from prison. And so the, the council captured them again and brought them back again before the council. And that brings us to where we are reading today. Um, so let's start by reading Acts 5, 27 through 32. And we'll see that in this situation, what it is that the apostles are bearing witness of. Let's read together. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So this brings us to the first point. What are the apostles witnesses of? Were they in fact guilty of bringing Jesus' blood upon the council? The apostles are bearing witness here to four things. The authority of God, the identity of Jesus, the guilt of man, and the plan of God. Well, first they bear witness to the authority of God in verse 29. They make the assertion that they are answerable above all to God. We must obey God rather than man. They know that ultimately what they say will be judged by him. And they cannot allow their witness to be swayed by fear. So in their very act of sharing truthfully, they are bearing witness in their actions to the authority of God. By refusing to let their fear of man supersede their fear of God, they bear witness. And since he knows, since God knows the truth, the apostles have to share that truth fully, whether faced with prison or beatings or even death. And so what is that truth that they are sharing? That brings us to the second point. They bear witness to the identity of Jesus. In verse 30, they say that the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Proving through his resurrection that he was indeed the son of God that he had claimed all along. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was, was then and has always been the crux of the Christian faith. This is what it's all about, friends. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul makes this clear. In 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen through 19, Paul says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is synonymous with bearing witness that he is the son of God. This cannot be left out. And this topic of resurrection was even something that Jesus himself bore witness to and argued among the Sadducees during his ministry on the earth. In Luke 20, there's a story of one encounter where Jesus confounded these same people so badly that they didn't dare ask him any more questions. And now the apostles are preaching this same truth that Jesus was raised by the God of Abraham. 
And so that is the very same authority that these Sadducees claim as their power to rule. And I think that this is a direct reference to this conversation that Jesus had among these people uh, about the idea of resurrection. And if Christ was raised, if he wasn't raised, then we are above all to be pitied. But if he was raised, then we can fearlessly bear witness to his identity as the Son of God. The third aspect that the apostles bear witness to in this short testimony is that they bear witness to the guilt of man. Acts 5.30 Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. This is a direct indictment of the role that these men played in the crucifixion of Jesus. The apostles are bearing witness to the fact that it was these chief priests and leaders who insisted that Jesus be crucified, even when he was found innocent by both the Roman and the Jewish courts. Luke 23, 22 and 23 say this. A third time he, that's Pilate, the Roman governor, said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Friends, we are no less guilty than playing a direct role in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was our sin that demanded his death. But this indictment that the apostles bring, this this demand that we recognize the sin of man, is both terrible and beautiful. Because it leaves room for repentance. The Sadducees are given an opportunity to own their own sin and to repent. If they would only admit that Jesus is what he claimed to be, as was proved by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then they could turn to the forgiveness that is then available for that sin by that same resurrection. They could take his blood upon themselves as payment for that sin, and they could find forgiveness. Or they have another option. They could maintain that Jesus did not raise from the dead, in which case they are responsible for the murder of an innocent man. And their fear that the apostles intended to bring Jesus' blood upon them is justified. And then, when that blood comes upon them, It is not for forgiveness, but with condemnation. So by bearing witness to the sin of man, the apostles are providing an opportunity for repentance. And that brings us to the fourth and final thing that is being witnessed here in this story. The apostles bear witness to the plan of God. Verse 31 says, God exalted him at his right hand, As leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. The apostles make it clear that the purpose of God's plan 
for his son's crucifixion and resurrection was nothing less than the salvation of Israel through repentance. And by bearing witness to these things, the authority of God, the identity of Jesus, the guilt of man, and the plan of God, friends, that's the gospel. The apostles are sharing the good news. And that good news applies to us today. That by repenting of our sin and acknowledging the lordship of Jesus, that we and everyone who hears this message can be saved. So let's apply these verses. Friends, be bold. Be fearless in your witness about Jesus. Don't let your witness be stopped even before it begins. Children, you can do this too. Sometimes it can be really scary. And it's no less scary for us adults. But you can be bold too. Kids, you have a perspective on God that is hard to find anywhere else. You have a faith that is so trusting. And people need to hear that. Share that boldly. We also need to be clear. We must faithfully share all of these truths about who Jesus is. Has your witness ever missed one of these elements and been compromised because of it? I know that mine has. What happens if you major on the authority of God, but you miss the guilt of man? Well, then your witness, that you're bearing witness to a God who seems arbitrary and cruel. And that's not who God really is. What about if you really nail God's plan for salvation, but you miss the identity of Jesus? Well, then you're bearing witness to a God who can allow sin to go unpunished. He is less than holy. He simply wants you to try your best and sin has no consequence. And that's not who God is. What about if you witness to the guilt of man, but you neglect the authority and the power of God? Well, then all you're accomplishing is condemnation. That's the work of the enemy. Witnessing to a God who is overwhelmed by your sin. Or who is unable or unwilling to save you out of the depths of that sin. And that's not who God is. Friends, what we are witnesses of is so important. And the good news is that our God is so good. He does not leave us alone with that weight on our own shoulders. We don't have to get it right through our own power. And that's what we're going to cover in the last point of today's uh, talk. But first, if you're like me, you probably spend not a small amount of time wondering who the target of this message should be. Who should I be witnesses of these things to? So let's read Acts 5, 33 through 42 and see who the apostles bear witness to, which is the next point on your outline. But when they heard this, that's the council hearing this witness of the apostles, 
they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and they came to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So here we see the apostles boldly sharing who Christ is to this council. Some of whom want to kill them and some of whom want to leave them alone. So who should we bear witness to? Honestly, this is an area where I think that I fail in this calling to witness the most. I spend entirely too much time judging where I think my witness will be the most effective. I behave as if there's some sort of spiritual equation where the numerator is the number of people who I witness to and the denominator is the number of people who accept Jesus Christ. And my goal is to get that as close to one as possible. If I share, they better accept. Or I've, I've ruined my average somehow. I treat God's message like it's some kind of an expendable resource. Or like I'm responsible for only sharing in the places where the result will be what I hope it will be. An example of this uh, in my own life is that I have two very close friends... Uh, one of whom is maybe a nominal believer in Jesus, and the other is a uh, very proud atheist. There was a time when I shared clearly with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, but nothing changed. And now it's been 12 years since I've done anything even closely looking like witnessing to these friends of mine. When we're together, I just let that spiritual issue go by. I don't even address it. I rationalize. I, I know that they know my faith. I don't need to say it again. They've already told me how they feel. They'll ask me when they want to hear something about that again. And the worst part is I know that if I did try to do more than I have been, they'd be totally receptive. They wouldn't be on the side that is enraged and wanting to kill me. They wouldn't stop me from speaking or even get angry. But I don't do it. And I've been convicted as I've been reading Acts 5 that that's not okay. 
Do you spend as much time as I do running over these thoughts in your head of who should I witness to and rationalizing why it doesn't make sense to witness at all? I can't share my witness with my college roommate. He's openly hostile to Christianity. There's no way it would make a difference to him. I couldn't possibly be vulnerable with a church member confessing how God has been convicting me of my sin. They wouldn't understand. I'd be ashamed. I cannot share with them who God has been showing himself to be to me. I know that I would lose the respect of my coworkers if I pray for God's blessing on the work that we do. And although my example I know has small, has small consequences, truthfully, many people face devastating consequences for their witness about Jesus Christ. Much worse than I do. And ironically, this is why chapter 5, verse 33, is so encouraging. When they, that is the council, heard this witness, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Why is that encouraging? Because for me, it completely changes the bar of who is an acceptable person to witness to. It is totally appropriate to share your witness with people who literally want you dead. So, who is it inappropriate to witness to? By this standard, I guess there really isn't anybody. We shouldn't be trying to make this imaginary equation balanced on the numerator and the denominator. We should be looking for as many chances as possible to share our witness of Jesus Christ. But we have to do it fully. We have to witness accurately to all of these aspects of who Jesus is. And I want to be clear that sharing this full witness often does take time and require enough of a relationship that we can build on those truths of who Jesus is. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it happens like that. When you're taken before a court unexpectedly. And in the case of the apostles, this is what happened. And it's, for me, it is easy to talk myself out of the opportunities that I have to witness and just let them go by because I fear man above God. But if I truly know who God is and I'm truly understanding his identity, then the best part is that God is at work long before I ever open my mouth. In verse 35, in the face of the rage of this council, someone stands up, a respected and honored teacher, Gamaliel. And he calls for some privacy and he reminds the council to take care of what they are about to do with these men. Friends, God was at work in this situation even before the apostles stepped in the room. And this is a truth about witnessing that is also encouraging to me. God has gone before you. And he has worked in the hearts of the people who you encounter 
even though you know nothing about it. And as this man shares this wise counsel, that if these people are speaking on behalf of God, then you will not be able to stop them. But if they're speaking of their own power, then it won't matter anyway. Let's see what that result is of this witness. The result of this wise counsel as we read verses 5, the second half of 39 through 42. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So they took their advice the advice to let the apostles alone. Yay! And they beat them. (laughs) So was this a victory or not? Well, they weren't murdered, so there's that. But they were beaten. No one had a conversion story. No one prayed the sinner's prayer. Does this qualify, friends, as successful witnessing? Yes, because the apostles faithfully gave witness to the truth of Christ, regardless of their own personal results. And so in that light, it makes sense what their apostles' response was in verses 41 and 42. It makes sense that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. For the name of Jesus. They didn't just rejoice in spite of that suffering. They rejoiced because of it. Not suffering for its own sake. But suffering in, suffering in action. That in the name of Jesus. Might be glorified. In what they did. Their steadfast. Fearless witness. And the result we see afterward is that the gospel continued to go forth every day in the temple and house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So let's apply. Witness to all men. And that means all mankind men and women, every single time that we witness to the identity of Jesus Christ, we are successful. The Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts in ways that we will never know until we get to heaven. So judge your success in witnessing, not judge your success in witnessing by how faithfully you image Christ, not by how your audience responds. And this imaging is done both with actions and with words. 
It's done in relationships that span decades. And it's done in courtrooms and prisons. It's done in concentration camps and on campuses. It's done between parents and children, between roommates, co-workers, and yes, even strangers. So don't talk yourself out of sharing your witness because you don't think it will make a difference. Friends, we must obey God rather than man. And he has sent us as witnesses. And if he has sent us, then praise God, he will also empower us. And that brings us to the final, and I think the most important aspect of witnessing. That is the how. On the one hand, we are not responsible for the result of our witness, and so it's easy. But on the other hand, we are responsible for how accurately we represent who Jesus is. And that is an incredible responsibility. How can I hope to accurately represent an infinite God? Isn't my witness by its very definition limited and flawed? Well, let's look back at verse 32 and we'll see how we witness and the power that we witness through. We're jumping back a little bit here to verse 32, which I sort of skimmed over. But I think that this is the key to the entire idea of witnessing well. And after the apostles had boldly witnessed before the council, they say this in verse 32. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Friends, we are not witnessing alone. We are not bearing the testimony about what we somehow figure out about God. If that were the case, we would be very poor witnesses. We can't accurately represent him in our own power. But we don't have to. Our witness is tied up to the witness of the Holy Spirit. What he reveals about God to us. And then when we obey and we faithfully witness, he corroborates our witness. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit to witness. When Jesus was giving his final message to the apostles before he ascended to heaven... He made them this promise that they would be witnesses to all that they had seen. Sorry, they would be witnesses of all that they had seen and witnesses to all men and that they would not do it alone. Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria 
and to the end of the earth. The witness of who Jesus is isn't about you. It's not about your audience. It is about God revealing himself to you and through you for the salvation of the world through repentance. So how can we hope to be a witness of an infinite God? How can we fearlessly do him justice in the face of a world that rejects him? Because he empowers us through himself. And that's the application. Pray for the Holy Spirit to empower your witness. Because you can't do it alone. Without God's direct involvement through his word and his spirit, we cannot hope to understand him, let alone to witness him accurately. And friends, the end of the earth has not yet received the witness of Jesus Christ. There are people on your campus who have not heard his name proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are people in Japan who have never heard the name of Jesus. Our mission isn't done. It's not even close. So we must be witnesses. And that means that we must be praying for the power of the Holy Spirit all the time. If I spent half as much time praying for the power to witness as I do thinking about why it doesn't make sense for me to witness to someone in particular, my prayer life would be awesome. And I think that this is what the point is. We need to pray. We need the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can witness. Friends, that's why we're all here this morning. That's why we're in every situation that God has put us in, in our lives. So in conclusion, I believe that in Acts 5, 27 through 42, we see a model of what it means to be a witness. To be a witness of the truth about Jesus Christ, his identity, his authority, the guilt of man, and the plan of God. We see a model of who we are to be witnesses to. All men trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And most importantly, to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Um, God, may we be faithful witnesses of you. May we be sensitive to the moving of your Holy Spirit to know what you are revealing about yourself to us. And may we be sensitive to your Spirit, Lord, in, in portraying that accurately in our words and our deeds. Father God, I thank you uh, for your word to us this morning. Um, help us as we go out and do it. We know that we're not doing it alone. Amen. Amen.